Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerville, a church situated in the northern suburbs of Cape Town. We pray that this teaching will awaken your heart to the reality of Christianity, which is Christ in you, and that it will result in increased fruitfulness in your life. So move school with compassion. Just a little bit of introduction. The teaching is on, on uh, Facebook from last week. Compassion means to suffer together. And so moved with compassion, it's meaning you, you're seeing someone else's need or you see someone else's problem and your compassion in you pushes you towards solving that problem. That is what God did. He was moved with compassion. That's what Jesus did often when he saw a sick person or when he saw a lack. He was moved with compassion. He could not help but solve the problem. And so for us as believers, it's in our nature Maybe you haven't come to discover it fully. Maybe you're struggling to, 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 to fathom the, 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 the greatness and the love of God that has been deposited inside of you. And that is why we're here to unlock that, to, to come to realize that so we can step more into that. Because we've got the answer to the world's problems. Christ in you is the hope that the world is desiring, seeking, looking for. They don't know it. And that's why we need to go out and make it known to them. Declaration time. Are you guys ready? We did this declaration last week. We're going to do it again this morning. And we'll see. Maybe we'll continue doing it for the remainder of this series. Um, declaration, it means you're agreeing with something. You're coming into line with something that is being said. And you're speaking it out. So when you speak something out, you guys have seen this. Um, you can dream about something, like in your mind. And you're dreaming, like, man, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's just amazing. It's daydreaming. Like every now and then you have this break. You're like, wow. That's going to be amazing. And you never do something about it. So the fir- but the first moment you actually start talking to someone about this dream, things shift. Now you're actually accountable to something. Someone can ask you next week, so how's that going, uh, Jerusha? Like, how's this dream of yours going? And you, can, and you can be like, oh, no, no, it's just a dream. Like, that's not how it sounded. So they can be challenged. They can be like instructional a little bit with regards to that. And the same with declaration. When we start speaking forth things, our minds start realizing you're more serious about this than just daydreaming, just nodding your head. <laughs> Amen? Good stuff. So uh, the first declaration here. Yeah. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You get to repeat this. Yes. Amen. And purposing my maturity. I will not be satisfied with a mediocre Christian life. I live. I choose to live a significant Christian life. If the Word says it, I believe it. If my life needs aligning, the Holy Spirit will show me and help me to do that. Jesus loves me and He loves the lost world I come in contact with. I'm an ambassador of Christ and not of my own kingdom. Last but not least, the good word is a challenging word. Amen. Good stuff. So the following three weeks we'll be looking at, in, in, uh, um, in line with last week, being moved by the Spirit. The following three weeks we're going to be looking at um, how the Spirit moves us towards intimacy with God and then moves us towards believers, us together as believers, and then also moving us towards unbelievers. So that's going to be the, the, the following uh, week's messages. So this morning, 
entitled, A Move Towards Intimacy with God. Let's go to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, verse 24 to 28 from the Message Translation. And this is an amazing prophecy, again, of what Jesus what is going to come and accomplish for us and what we have today. We are living in this prophecy. Ezekiel 37, 24 to 28. They'll follow my laws and keep my statutes. They'll live in the same land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren will live there forever, and my servant David will be their prince forever. I'll make a covenant of peace with them that will hold everything together, an everlasting covenant. I'll make them secure and place my holy place of worship at the center of their lives forever. I live right there with them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. The nations will realize that I, God, make Israel holy when my holy place of worship is established at the center of their lives forever. Now, you should know by now, this place of worship that Ezekiel is talking about, he's writing, obviously, in reference to how they were worshiping back in the day, but also prophesying. Prophetically declaring what God is going to be doing, doing something new through Jesus. And so, when he's talking about this place of worship, this, this covenant of peace that God is making with these people, when he's talking about Israel, when he's talking about David, those are prophetic things. David was a prophetic picture of Jesus coming, Israel was a prophetic picture of God's people, all of God's people. We've become the new Israel, the, uh, Paul writes in the, uh, one of his other letters. So these things are the reality what we are enjoying today. I'll make my place of worship at the center of their lives. It's not talking about the church being built in the center of a town. How did they get there? If you don't know who I'm talking about when I say they, then uh, that's also good. I'm not going to say who's they. But oftentimes people have thought like it's this literal thing and people haven't come to realize that there's a lot of types and shadows in the Old Testament that was forecasting, prophesying who was to come. Jesus, Colossians 1, 26, 27, 28 talks about all of these things were a shadow of the reality yet to come and Christ himself is the reality, meaning he's the real deal. He's the fulfillment of all of those things that was prophesied about. All of those things were foreshadowing, pointing towards the reality, Jesus Christ at the center. Guess what that center is? 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 18. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Say, I am the temple of the living God. That means you are God's address. God lives in you. He doesn't live in buildings You've become His building. You've become His temple. You are His dwelling place. We are His temple, the temple of the living God. I will live in them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. And I'll be their father and will be, they'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. This is amazing. Each one of us here this morning, we crave intimacy. And we find that intimacy in various things. We go and look for intimacy in the world. Even the believers, unbelievers alike. Because we don't know what we have. We don't know what we've been created for. You've been created for intimacy with God. To walk in union with Him. To walk close with Him. Now physically speaking, and truthfully speaking, you're as close to God as you'll ever be. You cannot get closer to God as you are right now. Because you've become one with Him. 
1 Corinthians 6, 17 says that he that is joined unto the Lord, which is any believer, he that is joined unto the Lord has become one spirit with him. One spirit. You don't have two spirits, you've got one spirit. You've become one spirit with God. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that uh, for anyone who's in Christ is a new creature, new creation. The old is gone, no more, the new has come. One spirit, new creation, new nature, God's spirit in you. Now, this is God's Spirit. He's continually drawing us and reminding us through the Word, reminding us through brothers and sisters in Christ. Iron sharpens iron. We need community. We need to uh, sharpen one another. We need to challenge one another. We need to spur one another unto love and good works. That word spur is talking about not the restaurant, the franchise, but it's talking about the, the spur behind the, the, the boot of a cowboy that climbed onto the horse. And that spur is meant to get the horse going. So we are meant to get each other going. Stir one another. Spur one another unto love and good works. That love and good works isn't something that is strife and, and getting brownie points from God and comparing ourselves with the other person and running races against one another. No, it's coming to a reality and identifying this is God in me. This is desire to do love and good works. To bring change where there's change needed. To shed, shed light where there's darkness. This is what we've been created for. But all of that comes from a place of intimacy. And that's why the Holy Spirit draws us closer in our minds through the body of Christ to see how close we are to God, how one we are with Him, and how His desires are our desires. Psalm 37 verse 4. Yeah, Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So what does that mean? Delight yourself in the Lord, then He will give me the Ferrari that I'm desiring and the double-story house that I've been dreaming about and like I've been visualizing and I've been naming and claiming it like that. No. No, 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 no. Delight yourself in the Lord. That word delight is talking about being moldable, like clay, right? Clay is moldable. You can take clay and you can form it. You can do different things with it. That's the word what delight means. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, we are bringing our heart like clay to Him to be molded, to be formed so that His desires can become our desires. So that He can start shaping our hearts to become in alignment with what His desires are, what His will is for us. That's why when you start focusing on I should stop doing this, I should start doing that and, and, you, and you behavior modification focused, you never, you never succeed. People are trying to get rid of addictions and things like that by self-effort and self-performance. They never succeed. They may be lost for a while, but they always fall back. But when you come to God and, and you lay it down at His feet and you start enjoying intimacy with Him, guess what? Before long, all of those filth, all of those, those addictions, they just fall by the wayside because you've given your heart to Him and He's starting to change your desires the things that you want to do, the things that your flesh desires to do. You become clay in His hands and you become a beautiful human being. You become who God has created you to be. Luke chapter 10. And this is something we need to also understand and it's amazing. It's so, it's so good. The fact that this invitation and this desire of the Holy Spirit to just draw us close and and reveal this reality to us. It's there for us 24-7. It doesn't stop. Luke 10 verse 38 to, to 42. 
from the New Living Translation says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Man, that sounds good, like a big lunch. Um, and so she was distracted by this big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now pause there for a moment. I know none of us have ever been like Martha. Um, where we just like, we think that things should look like this. And we think that, that, that God needs to do things like this. Like he needs to come in, come in alignment with my plans for my life. Come on, Lord, like, I'm doing all of these things. You just need to like get, get with the program. Come on already. Um, and so uh, none of us have been in those, those, uh, those shoes, I know. We, we, we the Mary, uh, verse 41. But the Lord said to her, now he's responding to Martha's request and Martha's complaint, so to speak. Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing. Say one thing. Now, this is Jesus, remember? It's not just some guy in the Bible. Jesus, the Son of God. All wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. If he says one thing, like surely we're going to make a note of this, right? One thing. It's not like I'm, I'm, we're writing a book and saying like 10 steps to walk in freedom. He says one thing. How simple is that? One thing. What does he say? What's his one thing? There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. There's one thing, sitting at Jesus' feet, sitting under His teaching, being close to Him, receiving from Him. Man, how many things are you purposing in your week to be the one important thing in your week? You've got your to-do list, and number one, most important. Rub your wife's feet. <laughs> I haven't done it in a while. It's probably due, uh, due time to, to give her a good foot rub. Um, there's a lot of things that are important. I get that. There's a lot of things we have to do. There's a lot of things that, that, that is essential in a sense. And Martha also thought so. Like, obviously, preparing dinner, this is Jesus, right? So I want to prepare a good meal for him. Like I want to show him that I can also cook and I've got my gifts and I've got my talents and I just want to show him that I'm, I'm worth it. And so oftentimes we can justify all of these things that are also important, like Martha was doing there. And then Jesus just lovingly rebuked her. And like a rebuke is not always going to be fun. Correction is not always going to be fun. None of us enjoy correction because we love it when we're just on the right path. It feels good. When you're doing the right thing, you, you're running the course, and it's like, man, you get cheered on, and people tap you on your back. And so whenever someone pulls you at your collar and say, like, whoa, like, what are you doing here? It doesn't feel good. Like, your, your flesh doesn't like it. The carnal man doesn't like that. But, man, we, we aren't carnal. We've got a carnal side. But we are spiritual. We're God's children. Born again. Born from above. So we get to respond differently to rebuke. We get to respond differently to correction, to instruction. Than the carnal man. Amen? 
Good stuff. I've got a few rebukes on, my, on, on the list here, so uh, you guys responded to that now so I can come to you and uh, do my rebuking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I don't have a list. Um, but this is awesome. Jesus loving rebukes Martha and says there's only one thing essential. There's only one thing to actually be worried about. There's only one thing to truly be concerned about. When you're planning your week, man, okay, cool. I'm planning this week. Come tomorrow. What's the one thing you're going to purpose in your day? What's the one thing that you're going to schedule in your week as the most important thing for your week? Let it be this thing, that the thing Mary chose, to be intimate, to enjoy intimacy with God. Not just spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking, you are as intimate with God as you'll ever be. You're one with Him. But in your, in your day-to-day, in your meditation, in your focus, in your living it out, it's something you get to purpose. And it requires purpose. It requires intentionality. Yeah, like with Mary and Martha, they both had the option, the opportunity to purpose intimacy in that moment. And it was a little bit different, obviously, for them because they had Jesus in the flesh in their house. So it was probably even more challenging to be able to choose between those two. But now for us, we've got the challenge where Jesus is there 24-7. So we become comfortable, right? We're like, oh, he's there. Like, oh, I'll speak to him later. Like, I'll engage with him a little bit later. Tonight when I go to bed and I'll give him maybe 10 minutes of my day, Maybe this morning, cut out 15 minutes, get up a little bit earlier. Man, I know like I've fallen into that, 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 that boat as well where we try and compartmentalize our, our relationship with God and it becomes very superficial, it becomes very mechanical, very systematic. And I'll just ask yourself this question. How would your relationship with your wife or your husband look? How would your relationship with your mom, your dad look, with your brothers, with your your best friends, if it was solely mechanical. Solely a little bit time cut out here, a little bit time cut out there. It won't be vibrant. It won't be organic. It won't be enjoyed. And so we need to understand that our relationship with God is not going to be enjoyed when it's this mechanical thing that is just put into boxes and needs to look like this. I need to be in my Bible if it's going to be time with God and Yes, getting in the Word is essential, but there's so many different ways wherein we can be mindful of, of God's Spirit, His will for the world, like looking at nature, having nature minister to you, because that's one of the purposes of nature. But having God even speak to you through nature, uh, prophetic things, uh, giving you words of knowledge to the people you're still going to encounter. Man, it's God, guys. The creator of the universe, full of creativity. If you just take him out of the small box that you've put him in, he can minister to you and speak to you in so many different ways and get you to walk in intimacy with him in profound, profound ways. Luke chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Reading from the Amplified Classic, it says, Come to me, all you are labor, and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will... Ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle, meek, humble, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest, relief, and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, not hard or sharp or pressing, but comfortable, gracious and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. Now, firstly, you're just pausing. This passage of Scripture is not meant for you to be used after a gym session or after 
a heavy work week. Because that's not the context where this passage of Scripture is found in. The context that Jesus is talking about here is religion. Working for God. Striving at right standing with God. And so firstly and ultimately Jesus is talking about this. And it's important for us to understand this because religion, carnality, is the biggest obstacle between, not between us, but it's the biggest prevention for us to enjoy intimacy with God. Religious thinking, performance mindsets, thinking that, man, now I get to be intimate with God because I've got, had a good week. I didn't play as much PlayStation. Like, I didn't get frustrated as much with my, with my kids and with my wife. And I only had one beer over the weekend. And we, we, we tend to be religious in our relationship with God. And that religious thinking is preventing intimacy from from us to enjoy intimacy with God. And that's why Jesus is inviting us, come to me. All you, so to speak, who are religious, you're heavy laden, overburdened with so many things. And when we come to him, there's rest for us. And he says, learn of me, do life with me, walk with me, be intimate with me, because in that place there's rest, there's refreshing for your souls. And when we refreshed, when we rested, when... When we energized, we can actually do what the, the last verse says. We can actually bear the burdens of this world. Because there's burdens to, to bear. There's persecution to persevere through. But it's only going to be possible through intimacy with Him. Through walking with Him. Through co-laboring with Him. It's a beautiful picture, this, this yoke that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about in the olden days, uh, and still today, obviously, they've got yokes on oxes, oxes plowing the field. And you get single, single yokes where it's just a single ox pulling the plow, and then you get double yokes and probably uh, triplets and whatnot, and I don't know how many varieties there are, but I know in this context, there's a, it's in reference to this double yoke where 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 we get to walk alongside Jesus, yoked to Him, to this plow, and this beautiful picture with the, the, the plowing of a yoke, um, they normally had an older ox pull the plow with a younger ox so that the younger ox can learn the rhythms of pulling the plow from the older ox. And you can adjust the, 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 the weight and the pull on the, on the yoke. And so when Jesus is inviting us to come to Him and take His yoke upon us, He's saying, I want to carry this for you. All you need to do is come alongside me. What did Jesus do? He didn't ask you to die on a cross. He died on a cross on your behalf. Guess what? You are reaping the benefits of His work. And so that is what He's inviting us. And even in life, we get to, we get to enjoy and reap the benefits of His work, of His Spirit in us. But it's going to require us to walk in closeness with Him. To be intimate with, with Him. John 7, we're just going to kind of come down fast with this plane. So just buckle up. Don't uh, unbuckle. Stay seated, please. Uh, John seven thirty-seven to 38. Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. 
Believe in me that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just as the Scripture says. Again, amazing prophecy of what was to come. Jesus says, come to me, all you thirsty ones. The world is thirsty and the world is hungry. Your hunger and your thirst cannot be quenched outside of relationship with God, outside of intimacy with Him. But it starts with receiving Jesus. As Jesus ministered to the woman at the well at Samaria, He ministered to her in the same words, If you ask me for water, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Streams of living water. In reference, Jesus was talking about, and here, talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes streams of living water gushing forth from without us, or within us, out of us. And it's something that we need to purpose. But the point here, and what Jesus is saying, and we're going to look at Revelations now as well, it's coming to Him, communing with Him, enjoying fellowship with Him, and then from that place, we get to learn from Him, as Matthew says. We get to learn and feel the rhythms of grace. How do you, how do you learn to dance with someone? Soki, for example, langaram, vols. I know some of those words doesn't mean much to some of you. Um, it's very difficult to, to teach someone to soki, for example, if I'm here and they're sitting there and I'm trying to show them how to soki. Like, it's difficult. But when they come close and you hold one another, you can feel the rhythm. You can, you can, you can feel what is happening. You can follow that easier than when you're sitting there and it's like this theoretical thing. And so the same with Jesus. When we come close and we allow Him to show us these rhythms and we allow Him to lead us, it becomes easier for us to follow. So our relationship with God can't be something intellectual and just words on paper. It needs to be intimate. We need to engage with and we need to personalize the word that we are partaking of. Revelations twenty-two seventeen, The same uh, encouragement for us come says the Holy Spirit and the bride and the vine duet let everyone who hears this duet join them in saying come let everyone gripped with spiritual thirst say come and let everyone who craves the gift of living water come and drink it freely it is my gift to you come so what's the take home come come to him let him refresh you purpose and be intentional about meditating on His goodness, on the oneness that you share with Him. Because the world and the chaos and the busy life that we're living in is constantly telling us to focus on this, focus on that, do this, do that. And we forget that we're one with God and that He's actually created us to have and enjoy intimacy. Not superficial intimacy, not like once a week on a Sunday for an hour intimacy, not 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes in the evening intimacy. Take God out of the box that you've put Him in and have Him minister to you 24-7. Have Him show things to you 24-7. Have Him reveal things to you about other people so that you can bless them, so that you can actually read the last around you, so that you can minister to the unbelievers around you. I'm ministering to all of us, myself included. God is inviting us to come because when we come, streams of living water which is already inside of you, will start bursting forth. Because too many believers have got dormant puddles of the Holy Spirit inside of them. Shut up. But He wants to come out and be revealed to the world. 
In closing, I want to share two more passages of Scripture with you. Intimacy isn't something intellectual, like I said now. It's, it's something that is experiential. It's heartfelt, and it shows. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 to 16. And there's a lot of people, and, and throughout the history of the church, I, I spoke to someone about this in the week or, or last week. Throughout the history of the church, you, people, you, you see people kind of falling into two camps when it comes to the, the, the supernatural and then the less supernatural or the experiential and then the less experiential where, where you see people going over the board with the supernatural, running, running after signs, wonders and, and tangibles and, and goosebumps and, and the, the gold dust and you, you see people chasing that. And then it becomes something negative, something lopsided, something distorted. And then people get, get put off of that and then they go to this side where it's like, it's like wet wood. There's no fire. There's, there's, no, there's no passion. It's just like you, you, you're standing in church and you work, you, you're praising God with, with song and it's, it looks like you're at a funeral singing that someone's dead and singing that national anthem and it's like, Obviously, it was none of you this morning. I'm not talking about you guys. Um, and obviously, all of us get to express the, 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 our intimacy with God in different ways. I get that. I get that. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I get that. But when you, when you, when you look at the word worship and you, and you break it down, the Greek actually talks about it and it uses a, 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 a picture of of when a dog comes to lick his master's hand. Like that, like it's, it's reverence. When a dog comes to you and it's your, it's your dog, like when they come to you, like they adore you, right? Hopefully. They, they, they adore you. They're excited to see you. They, they, they're showing it. They're showing sight. The tail is wagging. And they come to you. They just want to lick you. And so worship should look like that. It's adoration. It's expressive. It's not mechanical. It's not this robotic dog that you have that... I know I didn't do that well, but I didn't prepare it, so apologies. Um, the, 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 the encouragement is this, that God is a living God. He's done something radical for all of us. And we need to realize this. Because the sooner we realize what we have, the reality of Christ in us, the sooner it's going to show and how we live, how we treat people, how we go out of our way to create opportunities for people to come out of darkness and to come into light. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 to 16 from the Passion. If we are out of our minds in a blissful divine ecstasy, it is for God. But if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Guess what? If you see someone that is passionate about something, I'm passionate about coffee. How do you know that I'm passionate about coffee? I started a business. I put money into it. I don't need to convince you that I'm pa passionate about coffee. You, you, by spending time with me, see that I'm passionate about coffee because I talk about it. Passion is visible. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so Paul is saying here, 
For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. There's a movement. There's a, there's a, there's a flow. There's, there's things happening around people that are passionate about Jesus. It is visible. Because we are absolutely convinced, and this is maybe the disconnect for some of us, because we are absolutely convinced. You're either convinced or you're not. If you're convinced, he says, that, is, that he has given us his love, for all of us, this means all died with Him so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him. That's sacrifice, that's worship, a life poured out for Him. The one who died for us and now lives again. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see Him with limited human insight. So in closing here, the, the encouragement is not to go and conjure passion for Jesus, to go and get passionate about Jesus, to go and save the lost at all costs. That is not the motivation this afternoon. The motivation is to come close to Him, to enjoy intimacy with Him, and to realize intimacy with Him should lead to fruitfulness. Otherwise, it's fake intimacy. Intimacy with Him should lead to fruitfulness. So be aware of that and purpose that in your intimacy. Father, I'm going to enjoy intimacy with you now. Show me truth from your word. Encourage me. Instruct me wherever there needs instruction. I'm humble. I want to yield to your word. I want to humble myself under your word because that humbling will bring exaltation. Exaltation not for me to feel good about myself, but exaltation that will bring about kingdom impact. Kingdom fruitfulness. We no longer see people and evaluate them by their outward appearances. What does this mean? You can look at people that you come in contact with and just see a friendly smile and someone who does good and someone that's good at their work and you can see someone who's maybe like, who dresses nice or you can see someone who's maybe lacking uh, and they, they may be poor or they're without food. And There's a time and place to, to look at the outward appearance. But as as believers, to carry on with what the rest of this passage is talking about, becoming ministers of reconciliation and sharing the word of reconciliation, we need to start to see that every person we come in contact with has a spiritual condition. One of two, dead or alive. And so we need to stop evaluating people by their outward appearances. As people in Jesus' time, they were looking at Him from a carnal point of view and they could not receive Him as the Messiah. And still today, some people, some groups of people still just view Jesus as some holy prophet who died, did miracles and wonders and signs. That's looking at Him from a carnal point of view. It's only when you're looking at the spiritual reality of who Christ is that you start to enjoy Him. And the same for us, we need to start looking at people from a spiritual point of view so that we can actually help them from their problem into their solution. Last passage, John 15, 8-12. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. This is Jesus talking. I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Think about that. Remain in my love. 
When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, if you're reading this passage of Scripture from a, a religious point of view and a legalistic mindset, it will be a little bit of a heavy. Firstly, Jesus starts off by saying, remain in my love. And then if you read the rest of the following verses, remain in my love, you can rightly interpret verse 10 and 11 by saying that when we remain in His love, we will walk in His commandments. Like Father, like Son. When you know who you are, you live it out. Ephesians chapter 5, beautifully from the message translation, uh, verse 1 and 2 communicates this and he says, watch what your father does and then you do it. Like children that learn proper behavior from their parents, so you do likewise. My two sons, Chris and Michael, there's a lot of things that I tell them to do and not to do, but ultimately they're not going to do what I tell them to do. They're going to do what I do. So God isn't telling us to do a bunch of things. He's inviting us in, into closeness to walk with Him, to see who He is. Because as we see who He is, as we see His love for us, we will too overflow in walking in His statutes and falling out and walking out His commandments. And then your joy will overflow. And then from that place, you will love each other in the same way I loved you. Again, from an overflow of how He loved you, you will be able to love one another. If you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to visit us at one of our gatherings. To find out more, please contact us at info at or visit us at gracelife.co.